The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus. But the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them Jesus addressed this parable. A man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country, where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation. When he had freely spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens, who sent him to his farm to tend the swine. And he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? But here am I, dying from hunger. I shall get up and go to my father, and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants, Quickly, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fattened calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. Now the older son had been out in the field, and on his way back as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called to one of the servants and asked what this might mean. Their servant said to him, Your brother has returned, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf, because he has him back, safe and sound. He became angry. And when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him. He said to his father in reply, Look, all these years I served you, and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns, you swallowed up your property with prostitutes. For him you slaughtered the fattened calf. He said to him, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice, because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. This weekend we don the rose-colored vestments once more as the visible sign that Lent is halfway over. Thanks be to God, huh? Indeed, we do draw near to the Easter season, and so this day, this fourth Sunday, kind of marks the, the transition point 
where we begin in earnest, even by, by the prayers of the church that we hear, uh, that we recognize that, that the days of penance are coming to a close, the days of the passion of our Lord, passion tide, are drawing rather near. And so we're invited to come and to, to place our hearts close to the Lord, to lift up our hearts in joy, and to be able to fill with rejoicing because our Lord is near. This weekend in the gospel, and then in the readings themselves, specifically the second reading, we're reminded why Jesus came among us in the first place. We rejoice that Jesus is near to us, but why did he even take on flesh? And this is what St. Paul speaks to us about. Jesus didn't come to update the rule book, to give us new commandments. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. Our Lord did not come to set an example, to show us how it's done. Rather, as St. Paul writes, he came to save us from sin and the consequences of sin. It's an important piece for us to remember. Because if our Lord comes only to show us how it's done, to condemn us, or to be able to change the rules, it doesn't have a necessary impact upon me. Of course, the condemnation would be rather terrible. But it doesn't change anything for us. It doesn't ask anything of us, demand anything of us necessarily. But the fact that Christ came to save us from sin necessarily requires me to acknowledge my sin and to give it to Christ. Salvation has a cost. It costs the precious blood of Jesus. But salvation also has a cost for you and I. The only thing we have to give our Lord in return is our sins. We give him our sins, and he gives us salvation. This is the good news of the gospel today. Paul, writing to the community of Corinth, he reminds them, he says, God the Father has reconciled us to himself through Christ. He made him to be sin who was not sin, that we might become righteousness. It's an important thing that St. Paul is writing there. He's writing especially to a community to be able to speak of the reality of a liturgical action that took place. In the Jewish culture, there was a very physical sign of freedom from sin. Each year, there was a particular day, the Day of Atonement, where the people would gather and they would confess their sins aloud. They would confess the sins of their heart, the sins of the nation. And they, the priest who would be there, there would be a priest who would be suited up in all, of his, in all of his liturgical garb. And he would be there and there would be two goats in front of him. The people would confess their sins aloud. And the priest would, in the sense, kind of spiritually gather them together and place them by placing his hands on a goat. He would take the sins of the people and force it onto the animal. This is where we get the term scapegoat, an innocent one upon whom something else is thrust. This is it. The scapegoat, the goat, it, was, it, it had done nothing wrong itself, but it became the sin of the people by the laying on of the hand of the priest. And then what the people would do to cast out their sin is they would chase the goat away. Oftentimes they chase it to the edge of a hill and try to scare it off so that their sin would be killed. Their sin would be completely gone from them. But remember, there's a second goat. 
And that goat doesn't get off easy. That goat, rather than just simply being chased off a hill, that one is sacrificed. Its blood was shed, and it was offered on the altar of the temple. We recognize that because that's very real what St. Paul is describing. Because Christ is the goat's. What they did in the foreshadowing for the Day of Atonement, Christ himself did perfectly on Good Friday. The sins of the world, confessed to the Father, are taken by the priest and placed upon Christ. He became sin for us, who was not sin. And then he was led to the brow of a hill. And there, rather than being cast off, He began the ministry of the second goat, namely to shed his blood on the altar of the cross. He's the one who becomes sin, but he's also the means by which the sacrifice reconciles us to God. He is our reconciliation. He is our salvation. But the first and most necessary step of that is the confession of sins. To place one's sins upon our Lord that they might be canceled out. And this is the great call of the gospel. To repent. It's the reason we have Lent. Repent and believe in the gospel. The simple fact is that Christ taking on the sins of humanity and offering them on the cross was not a thing that necessarily canceled out every sin for all time, regardless of the situation. It takes the individual repenting, being willing to give up that sin. Christ can only take on on our sin to the extent that we're willing to let him have it. Otherwise, we keep it. I am sin. But I can give my sin to Christ. And he can offer it on the cross. To cancel out the sin itself and its effects upon me. And this is the entire ministry of the church. This is why the church exists, period. The church exists because it is the extension of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus chose 12, and he didn't say, go tell people good things. Go, you know, kind of go encourage them a little bit. Give them an attaboy every now and then. No, he said, go out and preach repentance of sins. One of the first things he does After the resurrection, as he breathes the Spirit upon them, and he says, whose sins you forgive are forgiven. Receive the Holy Spirit. The forgiveness of sins is everything in the life of Christ, as well as the reason for his church. The forgiveness of sins is why we are here. St. Paul writes, and he describes exactly that reality. He says, we, in the royal sense, the the royal we, I, you know, says, we are ambassadors for Christ, as if God were appealing through us. And later on, he says, uh, simply that the invitation is to be able to turn back to the Lord. We implore you on behalf of God, be reconciled through Christ. The priest doesn't come to call people to repentance because he himself is perfect and everybody needs to get in line behind him. 
The priest calls everyone to repentance because everyone needs Christ. The priest first and foremost. We need our Lord. It is the church who continues to call us a loving mother to come and to find healing for our wounds. The gospel today is one that presumably we have heard a number of times. It's a very common one, often used uh, for retreats and days of reflection, often used in, in daily, uh, daily devotionals and these kinds of things, because it is so full and powerful in its imagery. But the message is very simple. Our Lord is speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees. To them, he addresses this parable. So it's an important thing. He addresses the parable to the people who don't think they need to, need to repent. <laughs> To the people who who are looking and saying, Jesus is eating with those people who are unworthy. They're not worthy to be here. They're sinners. (laughs) And he eats with them? How dare he? Scandalous. You don't share your table with somebody like that. They're shocked. And Jesus addresses the parable to them. The father we know is God the father. The sons are humanity. There are some among the sons of God, there are some among us, who have lived our life in dissipation, as nicely as the gospel puts it. There are some of us who go out and we taste the things of the world. We go to a far off land, which means we run far away from the Father. We run from the Lord. We leave leave behind faith. And how easy it is for us to get caught up in the things of the world, because how enjoyable and pleasurable they are. The other son who stays home are those who are the faithful who remain in the church quite often, who stay close to God, who come to Sunday Mass, who are involved in the various ministries of the church, who show up extra here and there to be able to give of themselves in service of others. In short, the story is about all of us. Nobody is exempt. The father looks out and he sees the son. The son who has gone away from him to this far off land. And he runs to him. He runs. Common culture of the day meant that the elder was the one who stood there and waited for the lesser person to come to them. I mean, you know, I'm the person who has rank. I'm the person who has authority. You know, I'm I'm the honorable one here. You come to me. But the father goes to the son and he runs to him. He runs to him. And he embraces him. The son was thinking he didn't even have a leg to stand on. He didn't didn't have anything that he could say. His best hope was he could maybe be one of his father's workers. It wasn't even in his mind that that, that the father, God, right, would actually forgive him of everything. It wasn't even in his mind that the father would embrace him and, and be happy to see him. And how often for us, sometimes when we are in our sins, we think that God would certainly not be happy to have us back. Why would I be going to confession? It's not like the Father is going to be super excited to hear what I've done. Who would be happy about that? And yet the Father is. The Father delights to see His children. And even to hear their sins. 
Not because of the sins themselves, but because the manifestation, the confession of our sins means that we desire to have reconciliation. We desire to be in union. And that desire is the greatest joy of the heart of God. Even to allowing his son to die for us, that we might become sons too. That's the love of the Father. I was reflecting on this. I, before I was a priest, I mean, I, I understood the, the desire of the Father to see the Son. But I never, I guess I never connected, like, the importance of... What's up, buddy? <laughs> He's turned into the Father. I never understood the importance of the Father's expectation of the Son. I never knew what that meant. And I started thinking about it, and, and, and especially it's, it's resonated in my heart more times than I can count. Anybody who's a parent who had a teenager who went out and didn't come back at the right time, mothers especially, I think, I don't know if the fathers, from what I understand, the fathers usually are a little more relaxed, you know, able to go to sleep. But moms, though, moms are up and waiting. <laughs> moms are waiting, they're looking, they're counting like... You know, it's time. It's time for him to come home. Where, where are they at? What's going on? I remember several times my mom coming in, and, or me coming in late, mom being like, where have you been? Hey, mom. Good to see you. You know? Sorry. And as much as I, I, I experienced that for myself as, as a teenager, I experienced the parental side of it now as a priest. And then, you know, oftentimes people say, that, what does priesthood and, and, and married life have to do with anything? You know, Father, you, you know, you're celibate, you don't have kids, da 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 But people forget that I have kids, even if they're older than me. I have kids. I have a family that I care for. And I remember the first time I sat in the confessional for an hour and nobody came, I knew what the Father meant. I knew what this father was experiencing because I longed to have just one person come. Lord, just just one, please. And when the father would send just one after 45 minutes of waiting, my joy was beyond a light. Somebody came. Somebody came to receive the grace of God and the joy by forgiveness of sins. What a joy it was. And my joy is nothing compared to his joy. And this is what Christ desires for us. To be received into the embrace of the Father. To be welcomed home. To be given a ring for our finger, a cloak for our chest. Sandals on our feet and the calf to be slaughtered for the feast to begin before we can even get the finished, before we can even finish the sentence. Notice the son didn't even get the second half out. The father already was moving to mercy. And this is what God does with us over and over and over and again. He comes to us in mercy. But remember, there's another son. And that son, he's out in the field and he's working. He's about the father's business. He's doing what God wants him to do. 
And he comes back and he sees that the younger son, his younger brother, is home. The scribes and Pharisees see Jesus gathering in this people of this crowd of sinners and eating with them. And they're filled with anger. Just like the older brother. All this time, Father, I've been here. I never disobeyed you. I did whatever you needed me to. I worked for you. I put down anything and everything. I was here for you. And you never even gave me a little, a little goat to feast on with my friends. Not even the smallest of animals for us would you be willing to sacrifice for me. But for that one, you kill the, you fill the cow? Father, why? And recognize that the father has gone out to the son. The father didn't just go to the one who was off, way off in the distance. He goes to the one who was close to home, but just couldn't come in the front door. To those who are closest to Christ in his church, still oftentimes there is need for reconciliation. All of us sin. And all of us need reconciliation. And the father comes to him and reminds him, son, everything I have is yours. Everything. You want the fatted calf? You could have killed it yourself and I would have been perfectly fine because it's yours. Everything we have here is yours. It's free for the taking. Don't be angry. Be grateful. It's all yours. And this is the gift. The Christ calls to us and he comes to us and he gives us everything. Absolutely everything. Whatever we sacrifice in this life, St. Paul would tell, or Saint, the, the Lord would tell St. Tell Peter. He says, whatever we sacrifice in this life, the Lord will give us a hundredfold here and even more in the life to come. Anything we give to God, God will always give us infinitely more. And the only thing God really asks for is our sins. Come to me and find rest, he tells us. Let go of the sin. Recognize the gift that everything is yours. And come into the embrace of the Father. So this is the invitation. And my words to every one of you are the exact same words that the Lord spoke to the people through his ambassador, Paul. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God.